Okay, so anyway, Honestly, I don't now, now we're are. actually recording. Um, we are Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 3. We spent, you know, we spent, we spent 15 minutes of our last class in Romans chapter 9 where we totally got uh, predestination figured out, right? We, 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 that, yeah, we really did. And, uh, but but I, I feel like it was good. I don't really want to go back, so... We're just going to move forward, and we may Hussein bolt through chapter ten or chapter eleven as well today. We can switch it up and go Tyson Gay second fastest time. Track references, no. That works. I like track. I know who Hussein Bolt is because doesn't everyone like in the world right today? He's like not a human. He's something else. White guys like. I honestly believe he's Nephilim. No, I'm just kidding. No, but like fast guy guys from the Jamaican scene got in trouble for steroids. No, there's no fast white guys. Are you kidding? No, the, like the top six, he really is. He's from like, he was mind blowing to me. I freaked out. Wow, fast white guy. All this is going on the recording. He's an Olympic sprinter. He still can't jump. <laughs> I will say that you know. The guy who invented the way that people do high jumps now was a white guy. They can't really. They were like doing front flips and stuff. (laughs) What? Now Sarah McLaughlin is just floating in to the room? That was weird. Okay. Actually, they sang that on The Voice the other night. Jackie Lee sang that song. And that's why it's I haven't been watching the it's over. because I, I'm done. The Jamaican chick. I, I can't watch any more of those shows. Like, basically all reality TV now. I'm just like. Look, let me let me make an appeal. Seen it done 18 million times. I feel to you that the voice is unlike other shows because it is not a judging show. It's a coaching, and the coaches are there to pour into them instead of sitting there judging them. Which is cool, but they judge them first. (laughs) But based off their voice, not based off their looks or their personality or their weight. That's true, but I still, I'm still done. I still, I still, I watched one season of The Voice and now I'm done. And people are like, but they're just such great singers. I'm like, eh. You know, I'm, I'm Gru's mom. Meh. I feel like they haven't made a star yet. No, no one watches it. I never hear the voice they haven't. I, w- I want to like, see. I never like, hear about the people who win the voice. I want to see something. What if Philip Phillips really cool? cool? Like, is that I don't know. Yeah. What about a reality TV off. show about like missionaries in, like, like, you know, a country that, you know. We used to say that Master's Commission up. needs a reality show. Master's <laughs> Commission, they had it. It was called The Real World. Um, <laughs> You know, it's true. Mixed with road rules a little bit. I like when they fight each other. It's cool. <laughs> okay. The challenge. Yeah, it's, <laughs> they had it. It's called Jersey Shore. Hey, did you like um, it? Hey, that's not... <laughs> Listen, I'm not trying to be a Guido anymore. I stopped wearing a Twitch shirt. <laughs> what? You know, I walked by the buckle the other day, and I said, every name... <clears throat> Church evangelists. Oh, yeah. Hike, we did that. We really are like the real world. And Lindsay, if you look at like, Church I mean, Evangelists, it's like, like Joe Odin and stuff. Just go to the buckle. Okay? They got the jeans, the, the tribal shirts, Hike, the flip-up shoes. He said the buckle. Right. The official clothing provider of Pentecostal evangelists. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Although Joe Odin's uh, cowboy boots, I don't think you can find those in the... <laughs> <laughs> he, he has, he has some Texas. wild cowboy boots. Eric Kyle was wearing an outfit the other day, and I said, oh, you're wearing your evangelist 
jeans. He said what? Well, those are, well, no, those are just jeans. Eric Pio jeans. No, but he wears... He always wears those kind of jeans. You know what the word of scenes are like? You can't just like wear jeans. And he has those shoes on too. Yeah. It has to be like, yeah. I told him to his face, it wasn't that Scenes are like, he laughed. If you want to go to the place where there are the most people attempting to look trendy and failing, you need to go to a youth pastor's conference. It's amazing. Unbelievable. Like, like, one out of five youth pastors actually dress the way they would like to dress. The rest of them are dressing the way they think someone else would like them to dress. The youth pastor looks And I know, which, I'm not, I, I told Pastor I Barry that. when I took the job, I'm not going to do that, just FYI. Can I just say that I love that you're saying this with a plaid shirt on and Starbucks in your hand, which this is, is 90%. Obviously. Of what you pastors wear? No, it's not. <laughs> what do you pastors wear? Not really. That's he's not trying to. This be this is what I would wear. He's no wearing New Balances. <laughs> new Balances don't fit in your eye. If you were wearing Toms, I would just totally butcher one you right my, now. One of my, I never will. One of my pastors <laughs> growing up, he was like, he wore really ugly jeans <coughs> and like hoodies, Whoa. mica and tennis mm. shoes. He was just like, I'm kind of ghetto and I don't care. Like I don't yeah. want to. He just. See, he those are the, like those are the like guys that I go kid. find at the youth pastors conferences. I go find the guys that aren't like, you know, they yeah, don't like they them. don't have like the yeah they're not they're not trying that hard, you know. I'm like, just, hey, it's a real person. I'm gonna go talk if to. If I ever become a youth pastor, <laughs> I'm just gonna be broke because that's what I am. So <laughs> Maybe they're just like, keeping it broke. Really, really. What's that? Maybe some of them just like wearing those clothes. Some of them do. You don't judge whether or not they yeah. do. Oh, I can. That's not right. I can. So hey, Romans ten is a good book. If if they if they actually do like wearing those clothes, then they don't look like they do. The, no, the worst example I ever saw. There are there are some that I'm like, okay, I, I can see that. That's okay, probably what you would. You wear. guys can all but test. Then there's guys where I'm like, what are you doing? Illinois Youth Convention. I did not see one non-hipster person. It was pretty bad. It was <laughs> unbelievable. In like but Illinois, at the end of the next week, and there were hipster people. Yeah. Illinois, everyone. That I was blown culture. away. Oh, no, except for the DYD. The DYD was like total ex-college football player, just bro. But yeah, everyone else was hipster. It was crazy. What do you pastors wear? I don't know what you wear. It's yeah, like, you were you've never seen like the youth pastors that you like, you know who uh, Guy Fari is, the Food <laughs> Network guy, you know, like spiked blonde hair, they're, yes. they're, they're, they're a tryhard, is what I call them, they're tryhard. There's they're a really, youth pastor look, quote There is, yeah. But, that doesn't mean it's bad, it just means, it was yeah. kind of what was like the beginning of the 2000s, so you would have thought they would have moved on a little bit. I think it's getting progressively better as you would have more styles are accepted. <laughs> I, think. I feel like we shouldn't judge what other people <laughs> wear. Anyway, we're not judging what they know. There's 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 a, I'm just speaking the truth. Yeah. And as a youth pastor, I'm allowed to make fun of other youth pastors. Because youth pastors, like, where's that in the Bible? Huh? I don't know that it's in the Bible, but it's it where's is an accepted Bible? reality of our culture <laughs> that if you're a part of a group, you can make fun of them because you are them. True. So I can if, make fun of women. If, I can make fun if, of the human species. This is well, really sure. not a debate. Like, you know, but then, well, it's like, you know, you can't, like, like, you know, Jewish people can tell Jew jokes because they're, like, cracking on themselves. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? But you can't do that. 
Like I make, I make, I make jock jokes. Unless you are one. That's right. If I grow my beard out, can I make ginger jokes? You can already make ginger jokes. Part of the crew, part of the ship. This guy. You're good. Well, you know, you kind of have the complexion and the. I do. So you're there. So I can make fun of drug addicts. You're not. I suppose. This is a joke. You didn't, you didn't notice. I mean, like, are we going to edit out this part of the tape? Yeah, uh, I, I, the, all of our, all of our pre-Bible discussions have been edited off of the stuff that I'm reading. And it still doesn't fit on a CD. <laughs> CD can hold 72 minutes. It's one hour and 15 minutes, and our classes are at least an hour and a half. Some of them go like an hour 50. So, yeah. All right, Romans chapter 10. All right, so we just came out of. In Romans chapter 8, which was just like the atomic bomb of the book of Romans. And then, and then we go into chapter 9 where, where Paul starts to talk about uh, predestination, but he talks about it in the context of the Jewish people and kind of their dilemma um, at the, this particular moment in history. Okay, God has... Uh, revealed himself to the Jewish people for, at this point, about 3,000 years since Abraham, okay? And he's been talking to them, and they were his people. And now there's this paradigm shift in Jesus, where Jesus is saying, because of what Jesus did on the cross, now salvation is open to the entirety of the human race, which truthfully... It was open to the entire to the human race before this, but you had to become a Jew basically in order to access it. That is no longer the case, and Paul is trying to talk about that. And remember the the audience that he's speaking to is a group of Christians that do not personally know him yet, that are made up of half Gentile Christians and half Jewish Christians. Yeah. So Jewish people, the chosen people, yes. were legit. They were super mad that now any follower of Christ is the chosen people. See, I don't know that they were mad. Okay, but imagine. <clears throat> I mean, here comes the Apostle Paul and this new sect, which to them, to many of them, was just a, a new sect of Judaism, and there were several. Groups, especially at this time, there were multiple sects of Judaism that were out there. Like the Pharisees you've heard of, okay? That was one sect, and they had a certain set of beliefs. The Sadducees you've heard of, that was another sect, and they had a certain set of beliefs. And there were a couple others that existed at the time of people that had that looked to the same scripture, but interpreted it in a different way. So like, and now so, you have Messianic Jews, and you have Orthodox Jews, and then you have... Yes. Although Messianic Jews, according to all other Jews, are not Jews. So they looked at this Christianity thing as just like a new sect. At first, that's what they were thinking was, well, this is just another sect like Phariseeism and Sadduceeism. And and I don't remember the names of the others, but there were several others that existed at the time. And that's what they were thinking. And Paul, um, or the, the Jewish community outside of Christianity was thinking that. The Jews in Christ were not thinking that. Okay, they knew this is something completely different than what we had before, um, but they but there was still these these linkages. There was still this uh, this 
they weren't used to Gentiles being allowed to, to participate in this thing. And they, so even if they wouldn't have said it out loud, they kind of believed themselves to be in better shape than the Gentile Christians were. And not only that, but they really didn't... They would have been really hesitant to say that Jews outside of Christ weren't receiving salvation or kind of salvation or like does that make sense like they, they didn't want to so they were really egotistical just, about the whole thing well yes as a people they were very egotistical about this you know which Paul deals with that all through the first part of the book um, he already has he's basically been taking oh so you think your Jewish heritage has given you something I'm telling you right now, it, it was it was awesome, but you weren't any better off than the Gentiles were when it came to your right standing before God. Until you entered into Christ, you were just as guilty and condemned as the Gentiles were, and and that's 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 what Paul's been trying to establish up till now. Now Paul is kind of shifting gears a little bit, and he's going to start talking in chapter ten and chapter eleven about the Jewish people. Really, he started talking about them in chapter 9, and, and he did a typical Paul thing where he, he got into a subject by, uh, about three or four sentences, which made him think, oh, I better go back and talk about predestination before I go here. So he took a rabbit trail and spent the rest of chapter 9 talking about predestination. And now he's coming back to his initial thought process, which was, let's talk about the Jewish people. And so in, in chapter 10 and chapter 11, the Apostle Paul begins to talk about how God has dealt with the Jewish people, how he's dealing with them now, and how he's going to continue to deal with them. And out of that, looking through that lens, we get a view on a few things that are really precious to us, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. So we're going to dig into that. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that's the Jewish people, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Okay, He's saying, look, the Jewish people want to please God. They just don't know how. They, they're trying, or most, many of them, most of them are trying to, to you know, move towards God and do the right things and whatever, but they, aren't, they don't get it. It hasn't, you know, I, I always think about, um, like my kids will will do things that they're really trying to please me or Rachel. Like um, they'll you know just like they'll go into <coughs> the room and they'll pick up all the toys, but they'll just put them all on the couch, or they'll just put them all you know, or just shove them under the couch, something like that. And so when they're done, it the room looks the way it does after Rachel and I would clean it, kind of. And, and they've tried really hard to do something nice for us. But the truth is, they've just made more work for us. And they have to go find it all. Unloaded. Yes. And, and, and that's cool and everything. I'm excited about that, but I need to help them understand, no, you, I, I love your zeal for me, but it wasn't according to knowledge. Does that make sense? If they understood, no, I want things put where they go, not just, not just out of sight. It's like a player and a coach. 
like gonna be busting his butt doing all trying to trying to please his coach all day long. <laughs> coach is like good attitude. Yeah, but it's all wrong. But it's wrong, and and he wouldn't be a good coach if he didn't fix it. Right. And that's what the apostle Paul is saying about the Jewish people is many of them really want to please God, but they are doing it the complete wrong way. Not just not not only are they going about it the wrong way, but their actual base attitude. Attitude is probably the wrong word. Their motive is corrupted. And um, let's see, what did I... The Apostle Paul knows this better than anybody because this is where he was. This is where he lived. Nobody had more zeal for God than, than Saul did when he was, First you know, when that was what his name was. I mean, he was out there killing people or ready to kill people, you know. A lot of people he was on his way to Damascus to go and kill the Christians in that town. I mean, that's what he was up to. And so, and he was doing that out of zeal for God, okay? So he knows that that's, a lot of them are really there in the place where they would love to, they would love to please God, but they just don't know how. You know, he said that they, they, they had, they're ignorant of God's ways and God's will. They've missed the point they had it all there. They had everything in front of them. The blueprints are on the table, but they've missed it. They've built something completely different. They they had in you know that they, they they came to the belief that how we please God is to is to obey all these rules point for point for point, and that we will build a case for ourselves with God, and we'll be okay. We'll measure up, or we'll get as close as we can, and that's gonna. Okay, and the Apostle Paul is saying, ah, it, the problem is you don't understand God. You don't see the law the way it actually is, which is way f- taller than you'll ever be able to reach. And you don't see God the way he is. Verse 3 says, for not knowing about God's righteousness. Okay. They didn't, their, their lack of knowledge was that they did not know how righteous God was and God's plan or God's plan to give them his righteousness. They didn't get that. If they understood how righteous God actually was, they would know there's no way I can match it. And his next, the next phrase he says is, and seeking to establish their own. See, they didn't understand how righteous God actually was. But not only that, they wanted to prove themselves righteous, which was the key. This is the real, This is the biggest <coughs> part of the Jewish problem, was they wanted to accomplish this themselves, and there was no possible way. They wanted to exalt themselves, and there was no way for them to do that. It wasn't just that they didn't know how righteous God was or that God had a plan to provide salvation for them. It was that they wanted to do it themselves. It was Eve reaching for the apple all over again. God, we've got to understand that Eve's Eve's misunderstanding, the deception that she came under, is still echoing and reverberating through through mankind to this day. And it's a reach for something that God wants to give us without reaching. 
Okay? What did the enemy tell her she would have? You will be like God. Well, God wanted Eve to be like God. It isn't that God didn't want this for her. He didn't want it to happen like that. He didn't want it to happen through Eve's exertion of her own strength and ability. God wanted to walk her into it, to give it to her as a gift in his own way. That would have been his ultimate plan for her life out, you know, without what she did. And the enemy held this thing in front of her that God already wanted to give her, convincing her on the inside without ever saying it that God doesn't want to give this to you. And so she reached for it herself. Well, we are doing the same thing every day. We are reaching for satisfaction, thinking God doesn't want to give it to us. We're reaching for righteousness outside of the help of God. We're reaching for whatever. You name it, these desires that exist in the inside of the human heart. We are reaching around the plan of God to get them for ourselves without his help. And God never wanted that to happen. Never. And the center of the gospel is us putting God's help back in the midst of the equation by saying, not only am I not going to reach for it anymore, but I understand that even if I did, I would never gain it. Because did Eve gain godliness when she took a bite of that, of that fruit? No, she did not. Satan was lying to her, which is what he always does. He dangles something in front of us that we want. Most of the time, not a bad thing. Most of the time, that thing we desire is not bad. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that the end that we go to to gain that desire is a bad thing, because that is what's bad. Okay? Let's talk about the most obvious one, okay, the one especially for guys, is Sexual satisfaction, okay? We, we are sexual beings. We were created as sexual beings, all of us. And sexual satisfaction is something that we desire and we should. That's not an immoral desire. We should. But God has a plan wherein to meet that desire of our physical beings. He, he has that for us. Hallelujah. You know, and he puts it, and, and he says, this is how I want you to do this. And any time and any way that we reach for that Thing in a way that is not God's way, God's gift, God's God giving to us something we cannot get ourselves, nor do we, nor do we deserve. Okay. Any time we reach for that outside of that plan of God's, that's we, we are exalting this thing we're reaching for above Him, and we are making it an idol, and we are sinning. It brings destruction. It always brings destruction. Because God created us to have our needs met in a specific way. Okay? Marriage, obviously, is God's plan to meet that particular thing. There's other things that God is wants to use marriage to do as well, but that's that's one of that's obviously a big one. And there are, there are other things as well, a million of them, that we reach around God to try and do for ourselves. One of the primary issues of our culture, and one that I have experienced with myself, is the issue of reaching beyond our means to buy things that we think we want or need. And we don't wait on 
our understanding of God's supernatural plan to provide for us, and we step out into debt, and we sin, and we go beyond what God has decided to do, you know, how God has decided to provide for us. And because of that, we suffer. Rachel and I, when we first got married, my wife Rachel and I, <laughs> when we first got married, um, we, we were stupid with money, and we got ourselves, after, after a one full year of college, we had credit card debt that was way beyond anything we could possibly. Uh, we we could we couldn't even make the monthly payments at that point, and um, <clears throat> so that that's part of the reason that I had to step out of college, and and get a real job, you know, one that could pay us a little more because we had to do that. Now we walked through about I don't even know how long, seven years, of of shutting down all ability to get to to borrow more money in our lives, which wasn't that hard to do because by then our credit score was nothing. Okay, and um, but we we canceled all of our credit cards and we just you know paid them off, paid them off, paid them off, and then until now, I mean, I can we have like we have one credit card with a three hundred dollar limit that we pay off. Uh, as soon as we spend money on it. I mean, that's it. Um, and that's where we live now. Now I have school debt, but that's something completely different. Um, I, I, I no longer have any any consumer debt out there, not really. Um, because I walked through that season and that sucked, okay? It was really terrible and it stole from us. I mean, I think about where we could be financially now if we hadn't wasted so much money on interest and et cetera. And, um, you know, we're, we've been hurt by that whole process. But the whole thing, that, the whole way we got there was by ignoring wisdom and reaching around what God was saying to us and God's plan to provide for us as a family and doing things and buying things that we thought we needed, which we didn't, most of it, that, you know, and, and, and being foolish, same, it was the same thing that Eve did. And that's what the people of Israel were doing about their right standing before God. God had a plan from the beginning to give Israel a right standing before God. And His plan was not that they earn right standing before Him through the fulfillment of the law. That was not His plan. His plan was that they by faith take part in the sacrificial system that he gave them. Okay? God gave them two things. And the Bible often talks about them as one. Usually when the Apostle Paul talks about the law, he's talking about what we call the moral law. And he's also talking about the ceremonial law. Okay? Which was the sacrificial system. Okay? And the and you know, all the different festivals and days and things that they celebrated. Okay. God gave them God gave them these things and as they're really well we'll talk about it in a minute. You okay? Okay. They, they uh, there's two pieces to this. And the one side is the regulation of the law like the the God uh, regulating human behavior. Okay, thou shalt not 
lie, cheat, steal, you know, all that stuff. Okay, cheat's not in there anywhere, but um, lie, steal, kill, adultery, those things. Don't do these, okay? And then there's also a list of do this, like, you know, uh, keep the Sabbath holy and honor your father and mother and those kind of things. The other half of that was because he knew they would never live up to this. Here's what you have to do to wash, uh, to, to atone for the sins you commit. And he gave them a list of things that they had to do. Now, if you look at it, okay, it's really fascinating to go back and read about the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. For instance, God. Say you were rather poor, okay? You didn't have a lot of money. Well, lambs and goats and cows were expensive. They were very expensive. And you couldn't afford it if you were poor. And so what you would do is you would go by, instead of, instead of God gave them options. Like if you can't afford this, if you can't afford a goat, then go buy a dove and, and do this with the dove. And the doves obviously weren't expensive at all. So if, if we're talking about how, how would God be able to offer those kind of options if what he needed as God was the blood of that particular animal for him to look the other way? Does that make sense? Does my argument make sense here? Okay. If God is saying, I need the blood of a goat in order to look the other way at your sin, you know, then, then him saying, well, you don't have a lot of money. Okay, you can get a dove. Well, that wouldn't make any sense. You know, if this was a direct, you know, you committed these sins, you have to do, you have to kill four goats and a cow, okay? Does that make, okay? This wasn't like a, you've incurred this much cost, so you have to pay this much, fi- this much of a fine. That's not how it worked. And that we see that because what God was doing was inviting them into an activation of their faith. He was inviting them into see, he was begging them, see beyond this act. See what I am trying to tell you about your sin. See what I'm trying to tell you about my provision for your sin. This is not about, and and, and they totally missed it. As a people, they totally missed it. They made it a mathematical equation which is what it was never supposed to be. It was a sign, a shadow, a type of what God was going to do in Christ hundreds, thousands of years later. Okay, That's, This is what this was. It was. He was showing them, this. look, this is, this is not really helping you. And over and over again in the Old Testament, God says the same thing. The blood of bulls and goats does not wash away sin. But I still want you to do it. And, and what, what do you think they were thinking? You know, I mean, they, they've got God saying, I want you to do this, but it's not going to wash away sin. Excuse me? What? I don't get it. What? God was pointing, always pointing forward to the one he had prophesied about that was coming, that was going to be the real atonement for their sin. What you're doing now, this offering, had two purposes in the heart and in the mind of God. Number one, they had to see that sin was not without cost. That's why they had to take the life of an animal. Sin takes life. He wanted it in their DNA. Sin causes death. He wanted them to understand it. 
when they saw the blood of that animal rush forth from, from where the priest had you know, cut it. He wanted them awakened to the fact, this is what sin cost. It cost blood. This isn't cheap. It's never, it cannot be cheap. It is expensive. It costs the life of your most beautiful you know, lamb or goat or whatever. This is, this is serious business. He wanted them to see that. He wanted them to see that um, uh, it had to be a priest that, that killed the lamb or the goat. Okay, So he wanted to see, again, even though I'm bringing the offering, it's still out of my hands. Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay. They couldn't do it. It was also God's way of providing food for the priesthood because the priest actually would eat the sacrifice after it was over. Um, and it was, he was also showing them, uh, I just left my head, there was one, one more thing. I don't know, what has gone. <clears throat> and it's not my notes, unfortunately. Anyway, we'll come back to it if I think about it. Um, it's kind of a Paul moment. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, there, it's, it's, there was one more thing that I want to say, and maybe we'll get to it in a minute, because yeah. So, for not knowing about God's righteousness, okay, and seeking to establish their own, these are their two reasons that they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Okay. They didn't know how righteous God was. They didn't know that He had a plan to make them righteous. And they wanted to earn it themselves. That's the reality. And because of that, they didn't. Sit, they didn't put themselves before the righteousness of God and say, we, we have to have another answer. This cannot be the final... Oh, that was the third thing. They were putting their faith not in this transaction that was happening in front of their eyes, but in what it represented <coughs> that God was going to bring atonement somehow God was going to do that. And that's what faith is. Faith is saying, I cannot do this myself. I can't, and I know that, so I'm trusting what you have done to satisfy the most important question of my life, which is what is going to happen to me when I go. You know, heaven or hell, that is a huge, it's, it's an eternal question. And, and it is a scary thing. When you understand that eternal destiny lies before us, and the only thing we have to trust in is the cross of Jesus Christ, we should be, we should have a moment in our hearts where we say, oh, all right, I'm just going to trust it. I just don't, I don't have another choice. Because we, we are confronted with our own sin all the time, every day, are we not? Yes. It smacks us in the face on a regular basis. I deserve hell. That smacks us in the face all the time, and it should. I hope it does. I hope you live aware of, your, of how little you deserve the grace and the favor of God. I, you should. Because if you do, when you see someone else 
who is just like you, just as broken as you, but who doesn't know about faith. You aren't going to go to them and be like, I'm better than you. You're going to come to them and say, I'm just like you. But I am trusting in that, and you can too. You're not reaching down to pull them up. You're reaching across to offer them the medicine that heal, that's healing your terminal illness. It's walking in broken humility. We have got to stay at the place where we understand we didn't add anything to, to what Jesus did. He did it all, all of it. And we just are so stinking lucky that we know about it and are able to say, yes, please save me, please. That's so important that we live there. And, and so that's, that was what God was trying to do through the sacrificial system was show them this, this dead goat lying there is not your Savior. I am your Savior. Me. But it became a mathematical equation for them. It became a, a transaction. Okay, I've done what you told me to do. Now you owe me God. And God's never ever going to be put in a position where he owes you. Which we'll talk about in chapter 11. God refuses to be in a position where he owes you. Excuse me? I think you only exist because I will you to exist. (laughs) I owe you nothing, and I never will. And that's, God wants it to stay that way. It's very important to him that, that it does. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. That's why when Jesus came preaching to the Jewish people, the most, most of them did not follow him. But look at the ones who did. Okay? Look at the ones who did follow Jesus. They weren't the ones, they were the ones who had failed at establishing their own righteousness before God in their own eyes. That's why Jesus said, And my favorite of the Beatitudes is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus was proclaiming the truth that the ones of you who understand that you have not, you do not have the ability to earn anything from God, you are the ones that are closest to the gospel. Can you repeat that? The people out there who understand that they do not have the ability to earn anything from God, those are the ones closest to the gospel. The people who are conscious of their spiritual bankruptcy. And we are closest to God when we are conscious of our spiritual bankruptcy, even in this moment. That we still bring nothing to the table the ones that didn't follow Jesus, the ones that hated Jesus, the ones that killed Jesus, were the ones who wanted more than a connection with God. They wanted self-aggrandizement. They wanted position. They wanted power. The system that they had created exalted them. I heard this TED Talk. It was talking about jargon. You guys know what jargon is? Okay. In any 
in any position, you know, any any field, any place where people work, okay, like if you work in computers, there are all these words that go flying around that nobody outside of your field can would would understand. Yeah. Okay. I love that on that you guys ever seen Tommy Boy, that movie? And <laughs> <clears throat> he's standing in the he's standing in the in in the uh, factory, and he's like, I was just checking the inline on the rotary girder, you know, which means nothing at all. But he's just trying to sound like he knows jargon. And and the Jewish people, and what he was saying was that we create jargon so that we can use it and make other people feel like they don't know anything about what we do. Like it's all about our own pride. It's not actually about being able to communicate more efficiently with the people that we work with. It's really about just making ourselves, like exalting ourselves, like, I'm better than you because I know what HTML is, you know, and stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what HTML is. So. <laughs> it's just the code that I mean, I know that, but I don't know how it works. It's not nearly as complicated as they want you to think it is. Exactly, that's the point. That's 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 what I'm talking about. This whole jargon thing is 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 them trying to complicate something that's not really complicated or make it feel complicated so that nobody else can do it. I have to do it the because I'm better than you. The church totally does that. Yes. Christianity is just as bad about this as anything else. Yeah. Um, we're so, you know. We throw words out there like transubstantiation and blah blah blah, and people are like, "What?" You know, when, Sorry, you can, you know, when, when we get up and you know, and when preachers do this and they throw out these these big words, it, it really. I hate Christianese. I know I'm totally. There's even like not as big words. Like when you talk to somebody about being born again and all these yeah. different things, they're like, "Say what?" <laughs> Explain that again. Let's just rule. Let's just make a rule that we're not allowed to talk like Christians anymore. So I'm not having hermeneutics test. Nope, you no. still are, buddy. It's, um, you, no, it's how to, it's a, how to yeah. interpret the Bible. How does this transfer yes. into our study? Yes. Because half of my classes are named things that you I know. know, but on the outside. I know they are. I know they are. And I wish they weren't. I wish it was called a how to interpret the Bible test. I wish that's what it was. That's what, <laughs> that's what, I, told, that's what I told my dad. I was like, I have a hermeneutics test. I was like, what? I have a how to interpret the Bible test. Yes, because that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay? That's what it is. church news? Yes. All right. Let's move forward. Verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That verse is earth-shaking. It's that verse... I, that's one of those verses that I, when I read it, I just, I just get the shivers. I just like, yes! Like, okay? It, it just makes me, it makes me so excited to, to, that, I, that, that I, get to, I, I get to step into that place. Christ is the end of the law. He's the finish. He's the finish line. That's how we need to see it. It doesn't mean that the law is over. Hear this. It doesn't mean that the law is over. That's not what he's trying to say. What he's saying is, Christ is the purpose of the law. Everybody okay over there? Christ is... It's a weird coffee. Christ is the finish line of the law. He's the purpose of the law. He's He's why the law existed. Now look at this. The Old Testament, the Bible says the Old Testament is all about types and shadows and, and you know, okay? The, the Old Testament is all about laying the base, the groundwork upon which Jesus 
is, is exalted, okay? The, the Old Testament was all about God saying to a people, something's coming, something amazing, something incredible, and it's coming through you, which again, that whole reality that God never does anything outside of human cooperation, mind-blowing, absolutely stunning, unbelievable, like, what? don't even understand that. But that's how he works. That's who he is. And he's all through the, the whole time, from Abraham forward, he's going, no, I'm doing something. I, 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 there's something going on. All the prophets are looking at, what is this thing? This mysterious reality that's coming. Well, that mysterious reality is Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying is, all of history up till now has been straining forward to this point and we've finally reached it and now we're just in the celebration phase because Jesus has come he has done what he came to do and it is done the work is finished on the cross Jesus hung there and said it is finished it is over God all that God had been prophesying up to that point was accomplished in that moment even and including stuff that we haven't seen the fulfillment of yet in history. Jesus accomplished the end of sin. He accomplished the end of death. He accomplished the recreation of the universe on Calvary. And as he came up out of that grave, he did it all. It's done. And now we're just seeing it ripple out through the universe in a beautiful way. And it's going to be, and it's really exciting and it's really fun. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. He's the end of the law. Okay? Understand that he is the reason for the law and the sacrifices. He is what they were leading forward to. He is the object that cast that shadow. Okay? Imagine Jesus standing over all of history and he casts the shadow forward and backwards. Okay? And backward, that, that shadow is called the law and forward it's called the church. But Jesus is the point. Okay? Backward is the law. And they were all a type of him, and they all spoke about him, and they were all about him. One of the things that Jesus said in the New Testament that just makes me ache is when he points a finger at the Pharisees and says, You spend your lives studying the word, and yet you won't even come to me. And I'm the one that you're looking at. All of that is about me and you won't even open your eyes and see the truth. All you've been studying, all you've been working toward, all that you're spending your entire life looking at is about me from beginning to end and you don't even get it. And that's why Jesus was so astounded at who they were. He's just like, I can't believe you people. Random? Yeah. You're talking about how they, you know, how they looked at him, and they didn't get it. No. When it, when the Antichrist comes, are they going to look at him and be like, "Yes, they will." We were, that's the one. Yes, they will. Many of them, at least for a while, for the first three and a half years. So the ultimate. When he when he walks into the Holy of Holies and establishes a an image of himself in the Holy of Holies and says, "Now worship it or die," they're all going to know. All the Jewish guys are going to know. Nope, wrong guy. And. and <laughs> <laughs> They're going to start turning to Jesus en masse, okay, because he's going to be slaughtering Jews all over the world. For three and a half years, they're good. But for three and a half years, they're going to be like, he's the Messiah! And then, no. Oops. Okay. Take it back. 
<laughs> Jesus is he's Christus exemplar, which is Latin for Christ our example. Where where the law was the measuring rod, okay, before that we could never measure up to, Jesus towers over the law. It spoke of him all the time, and now he's the example that we have up to. But he's more than that. He's also Agnes Dei. He's the Lamb of God. Okay? The the he is the sacrificial system. He's what he's they've been it's been speaking about all this time. Every lamb, every dove, everything that was offered, Jesus was those. He was that. They were all looking toward him when they did that, or they should have been. And if they weren't, then they received no help from what they did. Which we'll move we're gonna talk about that more in a minute. And he's also the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He is the one who, by the Holy Spirit, has written the new covenant on our hearts and has given us the power to walk the way that he did in the earth. Which that is the piece of the of that is the the new brand spanking new part of the covenant that that nobody understood was coming until Jesus. Was he commands the Holy Spirit? No. No. They cooperate. But he is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. I didn't the mean Holy Spirit. like he dictates, but just that's a weird that's a weird trying to do question. He doesn't he doesn't command. God Father, God Son, God Holy Spirit do not command each other. They don't have to. It's like it would be like me commanding my wife. I I'm not going to do that. Even if I did have the authority to, which I don't really think biblically I do, but even if I did, we submit to one another in love, and that's how the Trinity works. They submit to each other. So is it, but like, would it be like, say a person's praying for the Holy Spirit, is it like Jesus is like looking at the Holy Spirit like, hey, yeah, he's ready, and then... I don't it? know that there's that much of a disparity. That's what, that's what those, <clears throat> I try to, because they're one, but they're so different. I don't... So that, the Holy Spirit, let me say it this way, Jesus made it possible for the Holy Spirit to fill them by his sacrifice. So Jesus gave his yes then. Gotcha. Now, we ask, but he, Jesus said it was the, that the Holy Spirit is the gift of the Father. Right. So if anybody is saying yes, it's the Father. But Jesus is the baptizer, that's what the Bible says. So anyway. All right. Now, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Okay? In a, that's Leviticus 18.5. And what he said is, if you do everything written in the law flawlessly, you can stand and, and have righteousness before God. The problem is, no one ever did it. It never happened. And so because of that, we need Christ. So we've got to get that. We've got to get that, yes, Sure, it would have been possible if you could have acted just like acted, thought everything just like God your entire life from the moment you were born until the moment you died. You could, you could, you know, you'd, you'd be square with God and make it in heaven. Nobody ever did except for Christ Himself. Nobody. Okay, verse six. But the righteousness based on faith says, "Do not say in your heart who will send into heaven." That is to bring Christ down. You don't need to bring Jesus down out of heaven. He he already came. Okay. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. No, we don't need to bring Christ up from the dead. He already rose from the dead. 
Okay? We don't work for our own salvation. It doesn't happen. We're not going up to heaven to get Jesus' help, and we're not going down to hell to raise Him from the dead. He came and He rose from the dead. And because of that, verse 8, the word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. I want you to please repeat this after me. The word is near me. In my heart, in my mouth, and in my heart. Okay? You've got to get this. Jesus is not far away. We have to get this. He is alive inside of you now. You don't have to go find him. You don't have to like, you know, I I have to I have to you know, take click my heels three times and say there's no place like the presence of God. Okay, that that's not necessary. <laughs> All right, and I'm a worship leader. I'm one of the worst. Okay, we are one of the worst people about this. We're like, come down, God, come down. And I just want to burn all those songs. I don't ever want those songs to be sung ever again. I probably still will sing them because they've got cool, you know, guitar riffs. But still, um, the rock star. <laughs> why? Why do we sing that when he already came? It's like okay. Last Sunday, how many of you, oh, you guys weren't here. Um, we, sang, we sang a Christmas carol, and then we sang a chorus. We added a chorus to the Christmas carol. And the chorus was, King of heaven, come down. And I'm thinking, I had a problem with that chorus, okay? <laughs> because the reason we celebrate this season is because he came down. <laughs> So why are we asking him to come down? Exactly. It's like, the king of heaven came down. That's what we should have been singing, was that he did come. Not that we're asking him to come. He's here. We don't need to ascend to heaven and bring Jesus down. He's here. And the truth is, we're already there, which is so good. We are sitting in heaven at the right hand of God in Christ right now. Like what's, uh... That's where you're sitting this moment. It's in Ephesians. Go check it out. You are seated in heavenly places <laughs> in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that you are hidden with Christ in God right now. This is a present reality. If you are in Christ, we are, we are literally encased... <laughs> Surrounded by and penetrated by God. Right now, in this moment, you are already there. So these these prayers of like, God, come down, are just silly. They're silly. And and I think they're actually birthed of this, of our desire to make like to, to be able to to uh, claim that we got God to do something. Does that make sense? Like we're again, we're working for we're trying to earn something from God by our passionate pleas. That doesn't make any sense. Prayer should be more about aligning our understandings with his. It should be more about God, I'm not going to ask you to come down because I know that you're here. Please help me to believe that you are here. Okay? Now I am okay with some of those songs, like the song Draw Me Close to You, okay? Because we're not saying I'm far from you and I want you to bring me in. What we're saying is, 
I don't feel close to you, and I want to feel close to you. Okay? That's what we're saying. And, and, I, and so if we understand that that's true, I'm okay with us singing that song. But if we're not, if we don't get that, if we don't understand that, then I have a problem with it. And so any song that's like, God, come down, or God, you know, I'm so far from you. No, you're not. You're not. What about like, show me your glory song? See, that's different though. Show me your glory is just saying, I want to see. It's not saying... You haven't done this. Right. See, I'm a little bit, I'm much better with that. But like, Shekinah glory come down, I have a problem with. Does that, you you know? All those songs, but like, you don't think they were all written with like, bad intention. No, everybody that's writing them. Misconception. Everybody that's writing them. I've been, I have been, the reason I'm talking to you guys about this is because the Lord's been dealing with me in my own heart about some of the prayers that I pray and some of the songs that I sing. And I was at the worship conference in Colorado a few weeks ago, and this was the primary thing that God was speaking to me. Well, yes. And I started, I started, I started writing, not songs, but like, when I write a song, this is, this is kind of what I, this is where I want it to come from. And it was basically the point of if there's distance, if I feel distance between myself and you, that I'm the problem, you're not. That, that I have separated myself from you emotionally. You have done everything that is possible to do to bring me close. Um, Almost always when I'm giving a salvation call, I will say that. Jesus has done everything necessary to save you. All you have to do is say yes. He's right there, standing next to you, saying, I want you. And all that has to happen in your heart is to say, I believe you want me, and I want you. That's, that's all that's necessary. You don't, to get saved, you do not have to clean yourself up. You can't. Now, Jesus will take you through a process of, of cleaning up. I'm not going to use the word sanctification because it's the wrong word. We need another word for that. To sanctify means to be set apart, and that's not what this looks like. Okay? Jesus sanctified you before you even knew him. That's <coughs> We're going back to predestination. But that's what the Bible says. Jesus, Jesus sanctified you when he was on the cross. Before you were even born. That's when he sanctified you. So Progress- sanctification, progressive. progressive sanctification is a horrible word, a horrible like use of words. Progressive it's refinement. Perfect. That's fine. Or maybe not even refinement, but progressive education, progressive, progressive... Progressive uh, change. You know, <laughs> what do you do when you clean something like from the inside out? Like, I'm trying to think of. But see, that's not what progressive recreation is really. What I would like to say, there you go. because that's what's going on. Right. That's how I feel like my life to, like, is. It's that re- it's that reality that resurrection begins in you at salvation and continues in you forever, or until we get our new bodies. Okay. <coughs> we are about the business of being progressively recreated. 
That's what's going on. We aren't being sanctified. I think people get this picture of Jesus saved me and now He's cleaning me up. That's not right. He totally cleans you. You're clean. But, but He's recreating your mindset, your mentality, yes. your he is, he is recreating your soul from the inside out. And that's tough sometimes. Absolutely it is. But it's just from my own experience and stuff that I'm going through right now, it's like amazing. <laughs> and we have to understand that it is His end goal. I, I hate this idea that what God really wants is to regulate human behavior. That is so foolish. That is not what he wants. He wants human hearts that are just like his. That's what he wants. And when he gets that, he doesn't have to worry about behavior. What he wants to do is change who you are, not what you do. When he changes who you are, what you do will change. And we've got to get that. Because what we as the church often want to do is take people and go, Stop doing that! We look at homosexuals who are outside of Christ, okay? And we're like, what you're doing is evil and wrong and broken. And, and as, as, as if they didn't know we already felt that about them. But in what way are we helping them by going, evil, evil, evil? When the truth is they're not any more evil than any other sinner who's outside of Christ. Or, or who we are outside of Christ at all. They're just as broken and messed up as everybody, as everybody else. And everybody else is just as broken and messed up as they are. They are just in, as deeply in need of Christ as everybody else. Okay, But we put them in a special category because it's particularly disgusting to us. Because of cultural norms and beliefs. Okay, Which are just foolish. It's just foolishness. When we look through the grid of Christ, what we see is just another broken human being that Jesus is calling, saying, I want to recreate you. And to release you to be everything that I've dreamed over you to be from the beginning of the world. It's not about, I want you to stop kissing guys, okay? That's not what it's about. Will they? Yes, they will. They will. As they become more like Christ, they'll see, this, is not, this isn't God's you know, plan for me. And this isn't something that really comes out of love. I know that they would say, love of any kind is what I'm okay. No, that's not love. But don't you think sometimes that like, and I'm not speaking in specifics of homosexuality, but just in anything, that it takes like the changing of the outside or removing yourself from whatever it is that you're into to better what's going on inside. So like put you in a better, I think that's why like, yeah, like I think that it's, I think that there's two mindsets. Some people are like, yeah, just stop what you're doing, and then now you're a Christian. But I think also, if you go into it with the heart of, okay, if you stop doing these things, your heart is going to be easier to be, you know, to be broken, to be not as cold, to be to warm up, and then you can become more like Christ. Which in return, then you won't want to do these things. Yes and no. Okay. That's what if, I asked. <laughs> if they're coming out of a place... If they, if what I worry about is that they are going to stop doing something in order to earn something from God, and I don't want that. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Okay. I I want it to go the other way. I want Jesus to change their heart, and out of that place, them to have a desire to stop doing what they're doing. And I think that could be situational in a person too. Does does that make sense? I, yeah, and and I don't I don't want them to stop doing what they're doing because it's expected of them, right. or because they think that if they don't, they're going to be rejected by Christ. Okay, I want them to stop doing what they're doing because they 
they desire to become more like Christ. Right. And so, that means that this behavior ends. So what happens when people profess Christ, but their heart never changes? Then they didn't get Christ. Right. So the, Bible's, the Bible is clear. If people aren't changing, they don't have any connection with Jesus. And that's what we need to be coming to people saying. People that are continuing in sin, we need to come to them and say, you know, when I look at your life, I don't see the activity of God. And I'm really worried about that. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're not coming to them like I'm saying, not, you're not coming you're to them. this and this and this is bad. You're saying, right. where's this fruit? Yeah. Okay. Where, where is the fruit? Okay. Because at the end of the, of the day, what God is going to do for every person that was ever born is say, did the faith transaction happen? You say that it did, okay, and God obviously knows whether it did or not, but is there fruit? And there has to be. If there's no fruit, then this never happened. We just thought it happened. Some people did. That's why Christianity cannot be done in a factory. It cannot be done. It has that's it has to happen. It has to happen in a community where others can come alongside you and say, "Hey, do you see this? I'm worried about this." Because this is still a part of your life. I don't know that <coughs> You know, where's the activity of God in your life? And it gives them the opportunity to go back and say, Father, this reality is still there, and I don't have any desire for it to be gone, and I'm worried about that. Please, I'm asking for mercy. Shift me. Change me. Do you see? Do you see? Does that make yeah. sense? And fruit takes longer than some people like than others. Well, <clears throat> some people have this kind of fruit really fast. But this other kind of fruit takes a million years. And some people have the other kind of fruit really fast, and, but this kind of fruit takes a long time. And we have to be patient with each other's process. Because God is the gardener and he knows what he's doing. But we also need to be watching one another and really loving one another enough to say, hey, what's going on? Can I help you? Can I be the instrument of God to, make, to help you make this change? Isn't that like spurring each other on towards Absolutely. That's the job of the pastor and of and of each other. But my that I the primary job of, of a pastor, in my opinion, is coaching. Yeah, it's watching the life of a Christian and saying, you know what, this isn't in keeping. This part of your life isn't Christ-like yet. And here are some ways that you can invite the grace of God into this part of your life to change that. Because the truth is. The places that we're having difficulty are things, there's, there's realities in our lives that we're, believe, we're still believing a lie there. Fruit comes from faith, not from effort. Okay, And if there's something in us that is not, it's a fruit that is not coming out of Christ. Okay, One of my biggest issues is anger. I deal with that on, you know, and my constant question is, Lord, what is this fruit coming from? And he has to trace it back to the belief that is skewed that is producing that fruit. 
what, what, what has been planted in my life that I've allowed to continue to grow until it's brought fruit out, which is called sin. Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay? And the, what we want to do is uproot the root. We don't just want to re- get rid of fruit. You know? Because, once again, that's not helping me. That root is still there, and it's going to fruit something else. I, I may chop this fruit off, but there's going to be other fruit someplace else. It's not going to go away. But with the gospel, we can go down deep and uproot that thing and plant the truth in its place and watch Christ-like fruit come forward. That's what we're looking to do. And this is how we do it. Okay, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This verse, Romans 10.9, is one you all need to memorize if you haven't memorized yet. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. You need it. It is one of the ones on the Roman road, okay? You've got to have it. Romans 10, 9. You tattoo it on your soul, okay? It's important. Because when you're talking to someone who's beginning to, who's beginning to see what Jesus did, now you can tell them this is what you need to do. The Apostle Paul is very clear. Faith by itself is never enough. There has to be a a requisite action taken. Faith has to be activated. It has to be fleshed out, manifested out of your life in one form or another, or or there's no faith really there. Okay, this is why like healing evangelists will say, I want you to move what you couldn't move before. Do something you couldn't do before. What you are doing in that moment is you are attempt you are manifesting the faith that says, This has been healed in me. Okay? And it's in that moment that that the healing comes, almost always. Almost always. It's just like um, well, again, you guys weren't here Sunday, but Dad was talking about the Annunciation, okay, where the, Gabriel came to Mary and said, you are going to bear a son. And he said, I've always wondered when the actual conception took place, you know, in Mary's womb. And he said, I really honestly believe that when it took place is when she said, let it be unto me as you have said it. That it was that place of the word going forth, which, okay, we're, we're going to go there here, okay. <clears throat> Right, he was saying he wasn't already pregnant whenever he came to her. It was a joke. I said, well, it was nine months before he was born, Josh. Well, this is true. <laughs> I was joking. Shut up, Sam. Okay. Um. <coughs> all right. Verse 9. All right. Because confess with your mouth. That confession has to happen. Confess with your mouth. <coughs> what you speak has power. The Bible's very clear. And that's why, well, okay, all of this is going to be wrapped up here when we get to verse 14, etc. So we're just going to stop right there. Or we're just going to, we're going to move beyond that. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Faith has to be there and confession has to happen. It's got to happen. That's why I'm, I, I always say, when I'm, like when I'm giving an altar call, I, I don't like the whole repeat after me this prayer. I don't like that. Usually what, if I have my own way... I mean, I still revert to it sometimes, but a lot of times, what I, I just I just want to tell people: respond to the Holy Spirit right now. Just pray a prayer that sounds like this: 
Jesus, I believe that that's true and I want it. Just, just pray that, whatever that sounds like in your own words. I want it to come from you. I don't want it to come from me. I, you know what, does that make sense? Okay, and that's, so that's why I'm always trying to do that when, when I give an altar call. I really, I still feel the pressure on Sunday mornings to do the repeat after me thing, and so I usually do. But, but on Wednesday nights, I almost never do. It's, it's almost like, just respond to the Holy Spirit in some kind of tangible way. Not just internally. Let there be an external activation of the faith that is, that is existing inside because that has to happen. Faith always has to be paired with some kind of action if that's coming forward, if that's moving the limb, if that's speaking something, raising your hand, whatever it might be. There needs to be an external reality. And words especially are important in the Bible in ways we don't even really understand. But it has something to do, I believe, with the fact that God created the universe with words. God spoke the universe into existence, and then he gave only one being in the universe the ability to speak. It has something fundamental to do with our being made in the image of God, that we need to speak things. Wasn't talking about like how we can speak life. Yes. Or, or <coughs> you can destroy somebody with your tongue. Yes. And it controls our body too. And it goes. Yes, and it goes beyond just like when you say something mean to someone, it hurts their feelings. There is spiritual agreement that is put out of your mouth that either gives permission to the Holy Spirit to act or to the evil spirits to step in. In your own life and in the lives of others, there is, it has to be spoken out loud. That's why if you are dealing with a demonic presence, you have to speak out loud. You cannot do it in your head. Yeah. Right? It has to be spoken out loud. There is no evidence in Scripture whatsoever that Satan can read your thoughts. And even if he could, you have to speak it out loud. Now, I've done this over the phone. But it has to be spoken out loud. All right, let's move forward a little bit. Verse 12. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that he puts this verse here right after chapter 9 where he just said, God chooses and that's the way it is. And now he's saying, but everyone who calls the name of the Lord should be saved. I told you, these two realities sit side by side in Scripture. And we have to see that. That there is a place. There, people say yes or no to God. And that that exists. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it also exists that God foreknows and forechooses, predestines people. They exist right next to each other. And the Apostle Paul is not squeamish about it. And we are. because we're. But the only reason we are is because somebody stepped out and said, It's like this, not like this. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. Both and. And don't ask me how you make those things cooperate with each other. It's hard. And it, it's weird. And it's difficult. And it causes this crazy tension inside of us. But as I learned at that worship conference, music only comes out of tension. If you take tension out of a guitar string, it doesn't make a sound. So we've got to get that. okay? That, there's, that God sets up these tensions in His Word on purpose. They are there to show us reality. 
And it, and it just sucks, but God did it. And he's trying to show us something about himself that is very hard for us to see and that is almost impossible for us to put into words, but we might be able to grasp it with our spirit and rejoice in it. God loves being mysterious. He loves being just beyond our ability to figure out. And he does it all the time. He sets things up for us to go, I don't get that. And God's going, ha ha, that's right you don't. Because you can't put me in a box. Nope, sorry. I am not going to march to your tune. God is way too big, way too big for us to be able to say, I've got God figured out. No, you don't. And as soon as we think we do, he just, he, you know, I, I used to, somebody told me one time, as soon as I have the last nail put into the box that I put God in, God hands me the last nail. Like as soon as, soon as I, like, you know, I get, I just need one more nail and it's God handing me the nail. Oh, wait a minute. You're supposed to be in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I love that. That's so, that's God. That's, that's how he is. Um, he, he loves messing with us, and I, I love that about him. He's mischievous. <laughs> Jehovah Sneaky. That's, that's, that's what Bill Johnson calls him. <laughs> and I think it's genius. Jehovah Sneaky. Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> God of mystery, your grace is sufficient for me. <laughs> um, it's, it's beautiful. Now, verse 14. All right, now Paul is going, is, is going back again to this whole understanding that he's trying to put in our hearts about the process, what it looks like to enter into grace. And he says, But how then will they call on Him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Okay. The Apostle Paul is saying, this is how it works. And he gives it to us in backward order. Okay. He starts with, where you are, and then he goes backwards, and this, this is how it came to you. Okay, so let's move it, let's flip it back around, and we will we'll see this order. Okay, number one, someone is sent. Okay, there is a calling, an anointing, a moment where God says, "Go for me." Okay, and they go. The gospel lives and is spread through human beings who are sent. The word apostle means sent one. This is God's business. He he didn't just write it on tablets and put it up there for all of us to read. He sent human beings out into the world. We've got to get this through our thick skulls that God's number one God's plan A, B, C, D, E, D, E, all the way to the end, okay? Got all all of God's plan for saving the world is this, you getting out there and preaching the gospel. That is how God wants to save the world. Period. Human beings speaking about the truth. He doesn't want to do it any other way and he won't. He's not going to send like an angel into the sky to say, oh, you know, that, that's not going to happen. And even the times when God steps into uh, 
Like, like, there's all these stories right now about whole villages will have the same dream of Jesus coming to them saying, my name is Jesus. I'm not the prophet you've read about in the Quran. I'm the son of God, and you need me. And they all wake up the next morning and start talking to each other, and they've all had the same dream, like the entire village. Why are they having that dream? Because somebody prayed that God would speak to them, and then God did it. Okay? It still needed a human person. I know, crazy, right? Okay? Like, and, and almost always. Now, obviously, uh, what happens is, almost immediately after that happens, God has sent someone to that village, and they walk in like the next day, and start talking to people about Jesus, and they're like, actually, we know about Jesus. Because last night, everyone in the village had a dream when this guy named Jesus showed up and said, hey, you have to believe in me. Do you know about him? Because we're really interested in what he was talking about. How cool it would be to be that guy? Okay. Oh, no kidding! You'd be like, Lord, you can't do that. <laughs> exactly. You just, what's happening? Exactly. Can you imagine what that would be like? Okay? Like, we're like, missionary you're saying, years, and you're going to take years to build relationships. Yes, yes. You walk in, like, prepared. And some people do. That's the thing. Some people do spend years in it. But, but, that's, but then there's these times where, where you know, you just walk in, and, and everybody's there, and, they, and, he's, and he's just risking his life to bring up Jesus to this person and they're like, oh, you know about Jesus? Because we all want to know because we just dreamed about him. You know him too. You know? And, and they're like, excuse me, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jesus! I wish people were as excited as Buddy the Elf is about Jesus. I wish they were, he's coming! Jesus! You know? And I wish they were just as quick to spot a fraud as, as Buddy is. That'll stink and preach. I'm using that tonight. Really? I'm going to use that scene. Thank you. Yeah. If I was the missionary and that happened, I'd be asking them, like, what it's he looked like. Season. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you tell me about Jesus. You met him. I just read about him. Exa- <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> we don't know how he showed but up. But see, they don't. They, they, they had a dream with this guy, and, and he's like, you need to follow me. And he, but... They don't have enough. That's not enough. That was just... No, I, mean, I know. They don't have the gospel. But that's what I'm saying is, even in those situations, it's not until that person comes and says, this is what your dream was. It's just like it, it's just like Philip on the road, you know, there where, where God took him and, and he's standing there and the eunuch goes driving by and he's reading from Isaiah and Philip's like, do you know what that means? And, and he stops the chariot and he's like, how would I know what this means unless someone explained it to me? And Philip's like, well, you know, I just got transported from the city I was in and, uh, and I suppose you're the one I'm supposed to talk to. And so he just gets in the chariot and they ride off together and the guy gets saved. God set all that up. And what we've got to get in our, in, in, we are so stupid. We're so dumb because we feel like, we, we feel like we're out there doing this job by ourselves. Like, I have to go out and preach the gospel to people. And, and we feel like we are out there on our own. The truth is, once again, we're not doing any of this. We do not have the ability to get people to believe the gospel. I, uh, John Piper said it once, and it's totally, completely switched the way that I think and feel about pastoring. He said, as a pastor, you've been called to do an impossible job. And if you're not doing something that's impossible, you're not doing your job. And I love that. Because he's absolutely right. I have been called to do things that I cannot do. 
And the only way that I do them is by stepping up and letting God hit the home run, and then I get to be like, I got to kind of watch that happen. Does that make sense? Okay, I mean, even teaching this class. Okay, I'm doing something impossible right now. I am, I am exp- I'm getting, I'm trying to, to get you guys to come to realization of something that's in the Word, but I do not have the ability to do it. Even the best teacher in the world does not have the ability to give you a heart-level understanding of this. But the Holy Spirit does, and so He sent me to come, and He's going to use my ramblings <laughs> to break into your heart and plant truth in you that's going to come up as a harvest of righteousness. So then those people that are like, I don't need to hear from you, I just need to hear from the Lord. Bullcrap. 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 Because God uses people. Absolutely. And those people... And and anu- which, which leads us back to another... Which leads us back to another thing that I hate about worship songs. All I need is you. All I need... No, wrong. It's not true. God has never worked that way. And He never will. When we say, all I need is you, Jesus. All I want is you. Jesus would not be happy with that statement. Do you think they mean that they're talking about for a place of salvation? I mean, is that the hope that that's what they're coming from? What about from? the ancient prophets? Once again... You hope that that's what they're coming from. Once out. again, my, my hope is that when they're singing that, that they're saying, I, I desire you, I'm hungry for you. And that it's it's to, at such a level that really like you're 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 like my oxygen, you know, you're like the water that I do. that because that's a biblical reality, and I totally you do need him, but he's not all you need. Christianity is not meant to be lived out by yourself it's with not, Jesus. It is it cannot be lived out by yourself with Jesus. So these people that are like, I'm I follow Jesus, I just don't go to church. Well, then you don't follow Jesus. And you're gonna go off on some weird tangent, and nobody's gonna be there to say that's not what the Bible actually says. One of my biggest problems with the finished works movement, you know, the drunken glory people. No. You guys know what I'm talking about. No. All right, there is a movement out there in the world right now, which is they would call themselves the finished works movement. Okay, and they base almost everything on this understanding that Jesus finished the work on the cross, which is fine. It's true. That's true. But they take it to places that make no sense whatsoever. And they're usually marked by the fact that they believe that the primary way we encounter God is through holy intoxication. Like, like we encounter God and we get really drunk in spirit. Like, that's how it's supposed to happen. In fact, they do faith activations of, like, pretending they're smoking a doobie or pretending they're drinking a big thing, okay? And, like, I'm going to get drunk, woo! And that's how I, that's how I meet God. All right. I'm serious. This is, there's a lot of people that are in this place. And they are the, the thing that, okay, the whole, I'm going to smoke Jesus is weird and not biblical and so they don't whatever. Actually get high, exactly no, well, I mean, maybe they do. Well, see, here's the thing. I have been really drunk in spirit. I mean, blasted drunk in the Holy Spirit to where I cannot move, okay? I've been so drunk in the spirit that I had to be carried to my car and driven home, and, like, they had to walk me into the house, okay? Because I was just out of it, and there was nothing I could do. Last year at Winter Retreat, I was sitting there, and we had been praying for kids, and I had this whole mass of kids that was just laid out on the floor, 
And they were all just getting really messed up. And I had this vision of Jesus. He walked up behind me. And all I saw was from here down. And he walked up behind me. And on his side was a sash that said, King of Joy. And he came and he put his hand inside my head. Like this. Okay? And when he did, I lost all touch with reality in that moment. It was just like... like, I felt like felt like I, I, I completely so much so I mean I, I I literally just like melted on the on the stage and and people are like, I could hear what was going on okay but I could not respond whatsoever because I was so stinking high I had no idea it came out of nowhere nowhere we went to we went to Taco Bell after that with this with the speaker. And he is like, you are still so messed up. And I'm just like, <laughs> I was so gone. It was just completely nuts. And back in the 90s, okay, this happened a lot. We would have services where the entire congregation would get drunk in the Holy Spirit and just be including the pastors so that there was nothing. All we could do was lay there and laugh, and that's all anybody could do. Anybody, in fact, we had a couple times where anybody that walked up to the pulpit to try and like take control of the service would just be like, like they couldn't do it. So we just said, we'll just continue like doing what we're doing because what else are we going to do? There's no, you know. Nobody can physically stay. <laughs> they literally couldn't. And if you try, like anybody that made an attempt to bring any kind of order to this beyond what the Holy Spirit was, the Holy Spirit's order was. God completely humiliated them and just took them out. And my my youth pastor walked up, to, and he was never one to bring order. But he walked up to the pulpit, and he's he was like six foot six, okay, and just a big dude. And we had a pulpit very much like the one we have now. And he literally melted in inside the pulpit. <laughs> He's like sitting inside the pulpit, like with his face against the glass, just going, <laughs> and we're all like, I mean, who's gonna be able to move this big guy? Like, drag him out of the pits? It wasn't possible. So, anyway, <laughs> do I have an explanation for how that works? I no, I don't have. Finish your. You were making a point about how the so the faith. These guys. They, they have such a disdain for the rest of the body of Christ. That's what I really hate the most. Are they kooky? Yes. Do they have some whacked out theology? <laughs> they do. But the thing I hate most about it, I can deal with whacked out theology because we all have a little bit whacked out theology and they still believe the things that are most important. They still believe that Jesus is, uh, is Lord and that he, ra- he was raised from the dead. They believe that. They aren't touching that. That's, that's what they need to be saved. So I think they're saved. I do. But that's all, that's because that's what you need. And I still see the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the people that I know that are a part of this movement. Does it smoke to get closer with God? Huh? Yes. Not real, not real drugs. They never do real drugs. If they did, I would be like... You mean weed? They don't re- they, no. They don't do weed or anything. No. No, I, I wasn't saying weed's one thing, and then there's real drugs. No, I mean they're not. No, I was not saying that. What I'm saying is they they don't actually smoke weed. They pretend to smoke weed. Yeah, that's Jesus. Yeah, they. In fact, I've heard them call it Jehovah Wana before. So. 
just really confused. They're pretending to drink, but they have this disdain, this hatred for every other like expression of the body of Christ. Like, unless you think like we do, you guys are just messed. It's just so broken. It's just so dry. I would never go back. I would. I heard one of them actually say, "I would rather lose my salvation than go back to a dry church." Yes. I know. But I'm I'm just I'm 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 listening. But somebody that says that that's just gross. That's just yeah. disgusting. And that's why they keep drifting away. And I think eventually they will get to the point where they're preaching not just things that aren't biblical, but where they're preaching a gospel that has no connection whatsoever to the actual gospel. And they will either and the and you know that they're just going to completely lose it. Yeah, it sucks. Especially because several of these, there are several people that I really love and that I'm really close to that are that are caught up in that movement, and it really hurts. Because, and I've had long discussions with them. You know, and I know more about the Bible than they do, and they're just wrong. Most of them are universalists, which is. I got a lot of friends that are caught up in the real <clears throat> drug movement. <laughs> well, that's something. The else. real drug movement. So, might be on that one. <laughs> not Jehovah one thing. All right, here we go. And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news! But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Okay, he's saying just because this happens, someone is sent, someone preached. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to hear you. Okay? Because, number one, someone must be sent. Number two, someone must preach. The gospel has to be preached. Have you, I, have you ever thought about the church and said, you know, if we just did away with the sermon... Seriously, though. There are people that, that feel that way. We just need to come and worship together. We can all go study our Bibles together. You know, or, or you know, some other time. But, you know, No. The Bible is very clear in multiple places. The gospel has to be preached. Because the Holy Spirit goes before it. Too. Yes. There is a prophetic unction on pre- the preaching of the word that brings about change. More than just receiving information. There is an anointing on the going forth of the word of God that shifts the hearts of people. And it, the only way that happens is through preaching. The only way that happens is through preaching. Now, when people preach and write it down, that's the same thing as far as I'm concerned. If you read a sermon, you know, if you read an anointed preacher that writes a book, you can really be. But even at that, there is something about hearing a preacher. And for a while I thought that I only felt that way because I'm a preacher and I like to hear good preaching. No, it's not true. Biblically, it's not true. That God puts an anointing on the preaching of his word. That spoken and heard words have power. Okay? So it must be preached. Number three, it must be heard. It has to be listened to. This is not the same thing as believing, but you have to listen. You have to hear it. You have to hear what was said. Not only does it have to be preached, but it has to be heard. Number th- number four, it has to be believed. There has to be a yes in the heart of the hearer that says, I believe that. 
I, I, yes, yes, that feels right, yes, I, I'm, I'm connecting to that. I talked to a guy who's going through just one of the worst things you can possibly even imagine. His family is falling apart. His wife has like gone off the deep end and has left him and is claiming that he had, has abused her and blah, 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 which did not happen. And she's stealing his kids from him. And he came up to me on Sunday after the message, which was basically about nothing is impossible with God. And he said, Pastor Josh, can I believe this? I want to believe this. I want to believe that getting my wife and my children back is possible. But I, it is really hard for me to even let myself hope that God can and will change this. That's a pastor moment right there. When you look into the eyes of someone who's going, I want to believe, please tell me I can actually believe and tell me God will actually do something, please. I'm begging you, I want to believe this. <coughs> and if you as a pastor or someone ministering do not look them in the eye and say, God can do anything. Now you can say, I don't know how long it's going to take and I don't know what it's going to look like, but I promise you, that God has this in hand. He is going to do something. I don't know what. I, I can't promise you what it is. But I promise you God is faithful. If you don't do that, then you should never be a pastor. If you look at them and go, I don't know, it's hopeless. Seriously. Absolutely. When that person looks at you and says, my son or my daughter was just diagnosed with, a me- with, with an illness that they'll never get, <coughs> never get better from or maybe they're going to die. If you look at them and say, no, it's hopeless, it's not going to happen, then you need to leave the ministry forever. <laughs> we are here to give people hope, but not hope that will disappoint them. Hope that God is at work and that God loves them and that He knows And that there may be a really rough road ahead, but that God is never going to leave them alone. It has to be believed, and it has to be responded to. They have to call. You can't just believe it. You have to confess the power of the word. We're late, but like we're like 15 minutes over. But are you guys okay? Yeah. Any questions? Anything? Powerful. God's word is powerful. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get into chapter 11 today, but that's not going to happen. You can always add it at the <laughs> It's alright. The book of Romans is awesome. And it'll be easy to fly through the end because the Apostle Paul always builds his letters the same way. Teaching and theology is the first half, and the last half is practical application. And practical application is much easier to just go, bum, 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 okay. So, everybody okay? All right, let's pray. Abba, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that that thing that you're, we're hinting at in this chapter about the anointing that comes through the preaching of the word Lord, my prayer is that it's been active in this last hour and a half. Lord, that your Holy Spirit has taken realities that exist in your heart and planted them into our hearts and uprooted lives that have been put there. 
And that out of this hour and a half that real fruit would come forth. Fruit that is in keeping with righteousness. Fruit that glorifies you. Fruit that's eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, you can come back at 2 o'clock today.